you are listening to the next best picture podcast and this is our review of split hey pardon me sir i think you have the wrong car sent to get you for a reason. There's a flower on the pillows, a flower in the bathroom. Like, we're important. The only chance we have is if all three of us go crazy on this guy. Who is that? Maybe she can help us. We're here! Help us! We're in here! Don't worry. He's not allowed to touch you. He knows what you're here for. Listens to me. All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for Split, and the story of this movie is even though Kevin has evidenced 23 personalities to his trusted psychiatrist, Dr. Fletcher, there remains one still submerged who is set to materialize and dominate all of the others. Compelled to abduct the three teenage girls led by the willful, observant Casey. Kevin reaches a war for survival among all of those contained within him, as well as everyone around him, as the walls between his compartments start to shatter. The film is starring James McAvoy, Anya Taylor-Joy, and Betty Buckley. It is written and directed by M. Night Shyamalan, or as Quentin Tarantino likes to say, M. Night Shyamalan Ding Dong. And joining me for this review, I've got Kristen Lopez. Hello, everybody. So, Kristen, the question uh, I want to just first ask you is this. Heading into this movie, were you excited to see an M. Night Shyamalan film to begin with? Or do you think that he should always be referred to as M. Night Shyamalan Ding Dong? I, this has been. Who the hell is this guy? Like, he was a fluke, essentially, with the sixth sense. So where do you fall with his work, basically? I don't consider him the one-trick pony most people would. I love the sixth sense, but I also really enjoy signs. I love up until about the village. I, I can usually make arguments that I like those. Those are the three that I go to. Um, after that, I think they're all, like, hot garbage. Um, I know he didn't direct Devil, but... I think that is probably, you know, I, I give that some props, mostly because his input and in that was limited. Um, but other than that, yeah, I, I kind of feel like he hasn't had a good movie in over 10 years. Oh, yeah. To me, at least. Uh, uh, I, I know a lot that. of people, I know a lot of people loved The Visit. I found that movie to be insufferably stupid. So for me, this was kind of like, oh, he still got something there. Finally, we're seeing it. Because, yeah, I did not think The Visit was any good at all. Ooh, harsh criticism there. Because I thought The Visit was middle of the road. Like, I, And you know what? His career had fallen so far down that the only place really to go was up at this point. So even while I will maintain The Visit isn't necessarily good... It was still better than the constant stream of shit that we've been getting from him over the last decade or so. It was the diaper of shit to the face. That that was, yeah. Oh. 
Fine, fine. <laughs> well, what do you think of his newest effort, though, in Split? I was really surprised because I was really enjoying what I kind of thought was his attempt to make kind of a 1980s genre picture because you have this very high concept premise guy kidnaps three girls is it some sort of satanist cult thing because he keeps saying that they're sacred he's got multiple personalities so you're getting a little of psycho you're getting a little of you know those 80s slasher movies kind of like that b-grade stuff that you know usually i always think of like when i try to explain 80s genre pictures i always think of house on sorority row where they're in the third act you find out that there's a disabled you know grown man child living in the attic um stuff like that that's kind of what i was thinking of i thought that mcavoy was great but for me i wish they were advertising how fucking amazing anya taylor joy is in this movie and yeah. Haley Lou Richardson from Edge of Seventeen, uh, who I always kind of root for. I thought they were all really good. Um, I was very happy that he didn't go down Rape Road, which I was thinking was going to happen. They kind of hint at it at They first, hint too. at it a little bit, yeah. So I was really going along with this. I was not thinking about twists up until maybe about the like hour forty-five mark. I started to think, okay, well, is this gonna happen? Is this gonna happen? Maybe, I almost thought for a long time, because it's played so straight, that the twist was that there's no twist. And it's just as it is. Um, we'll get into spoilers in a second, but for me, the twist really pissed me off. Mostly not out of the fact that it is a totally hubristic, audacious thing that I thought made M. Night Shyamalan seem like the cockiest director in the world, but because of the things he's referencing. I have a very personal antipathy towards the end of this movie that we'll talk about. But for, I, I said it was 98% of a great, great movie. 2% of what just irritated the living shit out of me. Now, would it surprise you if I told you that I was literally the exact opposite? Oh, interesting. I, so you you made a lot of comparisons to a lot of films. Um, and I think that what Shyamalan does with, this movie is very reminiscent of what I got last year in 10 Cloverfield Lane. That's exactly what I saw. I saw a lot of 10 Cloverfield Lane in this. Right. So because of that, I was kind of left a little bored, a little uninspired outside of Anya Taylor-Joy, who, as you mentioned, is fantastic in this. I did think Haley Lou Richardson and the other uh, girl in this movie, whose name is escaping me right now, I didn't feel like they had as many opportunities as Anya Taylor-Joy did to kind of, I guess, you know, grab my attention. There's a lot of red herrings thrown in with their characters that we'll, we'll, we can touch on when we get to spoilers. But I thought that they were really there to act as red herrings. Sure, sure. I, I, I kind of got that vibe a little bit. But I, I will say that for me, because I love 10 Cloverfield Lane, it made me like this more. So I'm the exact opposite <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so I'm watching this, and really what's holding this movie together for me is um, James McAvoy and Anya Taylor-Joy. I mean, we got to talk about McAvoy. He, in my opinion, is the reason to see this movie. Whether you understand the twist at the end of the movie or you don't, I think that what McAvoy is doing in this film is pretty remarkable because each personality that he portrays has very distinct qualities about them. It never really seems to teeter into full-blown camp, although it does definitely walk a fine line there where 
there were times where you know it's just you get that unintentional laughter from the audience and then you get those moments where maybe the laughter is intentional for example um when he plays the nine-year-old known as hedwig he has a line that he says a lot throughout the movie and it's the line etc and that always seemed to get uh, laugh from my audience at least I think that the, the scene where I, I was really waiting for it to veer into just over the top was the um, dance sequence yeah yeah. yeah I was like Ex Machina Ex Machina did the high concept dance sequence out of nowhere and it worked this works I think marginally only because you're not sure whether to be uncomfortably frightened or uncomfortably like finding it humorous so i was kind of laughing but at the same time thinking this is so goddamn weird right and you know you mentioned uh, being uncomfortable and that was the feeling that this movie gave me i i kind of went into this thinking this was going to be like a jump scare horror film and i almost had forgotten that m night Shyamalan is not that kind of a director he is more of a suspense director that wants to unnerve you and make you feel uncomfortable he he very much adheres to the Hitchcock school or the right. Twilight Zone, that serial element of building suspense in a very with a very high concept premise and then unpacking from there. Yeah, and I had almost like forgotten that this aspect of him existed. You know, we've gotten Last Airbender, we've gotten After Earth and oh oh God, I'm like shivering right now just like thinking about him. I have um, to I have to throw out and I know somebody's gonna say, can't we? And I, I don't want to dis discount the fact that he's a, a person of color who is continually given the opportunity to make big budget movies and, and sure. films of substance. But I just kept thinking, you read all those those bombs, big bombs. If that had been a woman, let alone a woman of color, just a woman in general, that bitch would not have a career at this point. <laughs> I mean the fact that he even is a person of color yeah and that hasn't you know i mean i mean to a certain degree you can also argue that he has had his time in the dark in the doghouse so it, it's a double-edged sword i find it i find it interesting that there's a lot of there's a there's two camps i think with him that you know people say it's great he's a person of color he's championing you know getting constant second chances and then there are people that say he's the ryan reynolds of directing you know they just keep throwing stuff at him until they find the right thing that works and then we'll always just ignore the crap <laughs> well it's clear that what works is when he does suspense yeah the big budget stuff is not his thing yeah i when i was writing my review of this i said he works best when he's when it's an isolation a, a specific location in Pennsylvania usually a very small contained cast usually confined to one location that's what works for him when you start putting in different setups and more than like four or five actors you have a problem because and I think to that effect it works even better here because as the movie progresses you have three girls in a room and as the movie goes on that dwindles down to two girls in one room and one in another, or two, you know, they, he keeps breaking down the box smaller and smaller and smaller until it just becomes claustrophobic. Yeah, eventually we get down to one uh, one girl, and it does become almost like primal horror survival in the third act yeah. of this movie, which I always respond to um, on an emotional level all the time when I watch like stuff like Green Room or just something that just feels very... Um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, 
and because I don't I, I don't want to say I, was, I keep wanting to say man versus man but this is a woman so uh human versus human I'll say um and that idea of you have to rely on your wits and everything else to get yourself out of a certain situation. It's a very 80s plot line. She, you know, Anya Taylor-Joy is the final girl, quote unquote. And, right. you know, it's it's very hearkening back to stuff like, and I know people are going to say, how dare you bring up comparisons, like Halloween. You know, at the end of the day, that movie is woman against monster. You know, going back to even, you know, Frankenstein or, you know, the old 30s. And that's really what it becomes aside from the twist which is where i think it's very firmly in the 80s because things get very outlandish sure um going back to some things that i don't like about this film i think that while M. Night Shyamalan makes a lot of great effort in terms of his directing like i said in terms of the suspense aspect i think his writing still leaves a lot to be desired i do not like the way that this film portrays mental illness. In fact, I think it takes a very uh, serious subject and kind of presents it in a very childish manner. Um, and I also really, really hate his self-serving cameos that he always does in his <laughs> movies. And he has another one here that just made me absolutely I was cringe. happy. I was happy it was not Lady in the Water where he's like a character in the whole movie. Where he's yeah. just like acting. Um, although I did just watch Deepwater Horizon and that has a Peter Berg cameo and I just kind of rolled my eyes. I'm really not a fan. You know, Hitchcock did it. You guys aren't Hitchcock. Stop cameoing in your films. But you bring up a good point about the mental illness thing, which the disabled community has really come out against this movie for for the depiction of the multiple personality or dissociative identity disorder, um, which many doctors say does not exist. Um, there are many people who say it does. And that's been Hollywood fodder since Joanne Woodward got nominated for an Oscar for The Three Faces of Eve in, in the 50s, and I think it was 58. So Hollywood loves the multiple personality because it allows for an actor to really just be very showy and to go through a litany of impressions. Um, and I think that the, the movie has these really hard, difficult themes, and... M. Night just kind of read a book about one of them or Googled it and then just assumed. Um, I did not have quite the issue with the multiple personalities because, again, I've seen stuff like Three Faces of Eve, so I know that Hollywood loves that. I had an issue with Casey's subplot, which I don't know if we want to... Is that not a spoiler? Here. No, we'll, we'll um, save that for spoilers. It's, it's a very, um, again, much like something like L. it's a very real thing for women, and the way he utilizes it just comes off like shock value and I did not appreciate it. If he wanted to, again, use it as a red herring and really, or, or even implement it into the ending in some way, I would have not seen it as a gimmick, which I think is kind of what it is. Like she ha we have to break her utterly, utter fuckingly. I mean, you know, I just, I did not care for that. That rubbed me the wrong way more than anything. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. It, it all adds up to a message, which I think is kind of bland and boring, which is essentially um, past trauma can make a person stronger. Uh, I just found that to be kind of unoriginal, essentially. Well, and from starting with that being A and that last two seconds being B, those two plot lines and those two themes have nothing whatsoever to do with each other. Right, right. Um, going back to some comments you were making earlier about mental illness and how it gives actors kind of an opportunity to do these uh, impressions, so to speak. 
what's your take on James McAvoy and the work he's doing in this film? Are you a fan of it? Do you think it's good? The last James McAvoy movie I saw was X-Men Apocalypse, and I hated it. Every second of it, I thought he was horrible. And keep in mind, I am a disabled person. James McAvoy, much like Patrick Stewart, plays the king of comic book cripples, um, which I already like, eh, whatever. Um, but here, I mean, he's going balls out for, you know, whatever it's worth. Um, I thought that the way he modulates his voice more than anything you know the facial contorting and the disguise you know the glasses versus the beanie that he wears um i didn't really feel that was particularly impressive for me it was the fact that he could drop his voice two or three octaves and be one person or raise it and be another person and his personality and bearing just totally changes um you know i think the hedwig characters it's funny it's a bit pointless in the grand scheme of things. Um, really, it's it's him playing two characters um, more than anything else. At three, if you count the ending. Um, but I did like there's a, a moment where he's talking to Betty Buckley's character, who is also fantastic. The women in this movie do a phenomenal job. Um, but she thinks that she is talking to one alter, quote unquote, instead of the person that he's presenting himself as. I like that scene, yeah. And I really thought that was, more than anything, impressive acting on his part, because he's not only imitating a alter of a, or a person already, but he's, that alter, altering his personality to imitate some other facet of his person. I mean, that is like Inception shit right there. I thought that <laughs> was more impressive than anything else because the audience, once we know kind of the defining characteristics, we really do notice that he's putting on a performance about putting on a performance. Right, right. And as a result of that, I think that personally, I wouldn't be surprised if he pops up. And I know we're, I know we're talking like you know, a long ways away from now. But I would not be surprised if he popped up on some critics' end-of-year best actor list. Yeah, it's very... It, it Again, I think it's why a lot of people liked Joanne Woodward in Three Faces of Eve. It's why a lot of people that loved Tony Collette in the United States of Terra. You know, they love the fact that you have an actor playing different facets of a personality, some completely different genders or something like that. It's it's kind of a one-man show ability for an actor to do. So I think it's very easy to see why critics and, and audiences respond to it because it allows an actor to essentially go nuts. Yep, uh, yep, definitely does. Uh, that talk about critics' awards wins uh, is a good segue to lead into final thoughts, great out of 10, and any Oscar potential for next year that you sense for this movie. And then we'll head into spoilers, Kristen, so take it away. I'm going to say Oscar potential. You know, usually I would say they're not going to remember a movie in February, or January, excuse me, come November, December. But we've been proven wrong lately. But I still don't think this is going to get... It's not... I rewatched The Sixth Sense after I saw this, and the reason I think that did so well come awards time was that it's a very tender-hearted story. The script is very tightly written. It's very hard for audiences, and I'm sure there are people that hate The Sixth Sense. It's very hard to not say that that script has some beautiful prose or that Bruce Willis has some fantastic acting. 
this, you can really kind of pull apart a lot of things. You know, the script isn't that great. James McAvoy's performance has been done by other actors before. It's just not done by him. Um, so I'm going to say I don't see this getting any awards potential come next year. I did really enjoy it. I think that I, watching this was like watching Savages, if anybody's seen that with, uh, with Blake Lively, um, where... They change the ending and literally the movie cuts to black and then it has an extra scene. And I, I was like, wait, if they removed that scene entirely, the movie would have lost nothing and it would have been better for it. I was really on board with Split until the last 30 seconds. I think that last 30 seconds is just M. Night Shyamalan being like, I'm so goddamn awesome. And part of it is personal bias. I do not like the reference, but that's me. So... It really did dampen things for me, specifically. But overall, I really enjoyed this. Um, I'm going to give this a 7 out of 10. It's so funny because the twist for you hurt the movie, where for me, I felt like it enhanced it, actually. Yeah, people fall into two clearly divided camps with this movie, and that's one of them. Yeah, it's very, very amazing because my overall grade is actually lower. I'm a 6 out of 10. Because I think while it is solidly well-crafted and well-directed, I think that as a writer, he still struggles a bit. And I also think that there's a couple of other nitpicky things here and there that I particularly did not like. I mean, I've already mentioned the campiness of it, the overall like tone in the film. Um, one thing I do want to call attention to that I did like were I really liked the opening uh, titles, actually, because I really liked that they had... Um, multiple tiles of the same uh, font, like uh, going across the screen, and I thought that was pretty cool to play into like the split personality sort of thing. Um, James McAvoy, worth the price of admission, in my opinion. Anya Taylor Joy, she is so incredibly strong. If she just did horror, thriller, suspense movies for the rest of her career, I'm totally down with it. Like. With this, Morgan and the Witch, she's kind of, like, proven that she's, like, the, the the scream queen, so to speak, I guess you could say. So, as long as she continues to keep working with very interesting directors and um, some interesting projects, I am fully on board with her as an actress. I do think that a lot of other people in this movie kind of get short-shrifted a little bit, even Betty Buckley. Um, I think that while her scenes with James McAvoy are good... There is something missing that's making it truly great for me. I'm not exactly sure what that is, but just an extra added component to them. And with that said, uh, Oscar potential is a no. Uh, and uh, like I said, maybe James McAvoy might pop up for some critics awards here and there, but this is this is not an Oscar movie by any means. So a six out of ten from me. And let's head over into spoilers so we can talk about those final 30 seconds. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! All right, Kristen, let it out. <laughs> um, what What's your deal with this ending here? Because I, I, I'll, well, did, I'll tell did you... Did we want to talk about the ending first or what I felt M. Night Shyamalan did regarding Anya Taylor-Joy's character that happens before that that didn't really work with me? Talk about whatever you want. Okay, well... Anya Taylor-Joy's character, Casey, you find out that she is a loner who intentionally gets sent to detention so that she doesn't have to go home because her father died as a small child when she was a small child and she is being molested by an uncle. And it's she's essentially the Jenny of this, this film. And 
I didn't really feel that that benefited anything. Yes, it benefits in the end when McAvoy spares her life because she is quote-unquote broken. And even though the movie's trying to say he thinks she's broken, but she's really not, I still felt that the way the movie plays out, it doesn't go anywhere other than she gets to live because of that and because now she has the strength and the inner fortitude to tell somebody about what's been going on. I thought that was a really just kind of reductive bow on the end of it. I kept thinking what would have really worked for me is if they said your guardians come to come get you and it was fucking James McAvoy. <laughs> and like, she just, <laughs> this is just something he did. He brought girls home and, you know, it was really fucked up. I would have really appreciated that because, or the fact that, you know, throughout the entire movie, you're waiting to figure out if McAvoy and her are the same person in some way. You know, and this is all just a figment of, of her imagination. I thought that mainly because um, the, the other two girls that she's with are not friends of hers. And one of them is named Marcia, which I was like, this is 2016, 2017. Who names their 16-year-old daughter Marcia in, in 2016? I thought that was kind of... Shyamalan. Yeah, I, well, I figured he was using it as an, a red herring. Um, although The Longest Ride did that too. So maybe it's just, maybe Marcia's making a comeback. I don't know. Um, but I, I really didn't feel like he needed molesty uncle. I know that he tried to make it like both her and Kevin were molested by parents or, or guardians, but it really just didn't work for me. I don't know if, if that worked for you. <laughs> it, it didn't. I, I was not on board with that form of storytelling. I Like I said, I thought that what it amounted to in the end uh, with the reveal that he kind of does spare her and that this past trauma can give you great strength as it does for McAvoy and as it does for her in defeating him in the end and surviving. I, I just and I didn't agree with the message. I also just it, it just rubbed me the wrong way. And so as a result, I was like left with just such a sour taste in my mouth. And then when the ending does come and, you know, there's like the scene where she's waiting to be picked up and everything. I was waiting because I knew there was a twist. I went in knowing, you know, that there was something about this movie. And I was waiting for the big reveal because heading into this movie, my 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 initial idea of what the twist was, was that it was going to be that when McAvoy does transform into the beast, he actually does grow like fangs and like morphs his body into like a computer generated imagery of an actual beast like monster. See, my, my thing was that this was going to turn into identity, if anybody remembers that movie, and that they were all just going to be either all of everybody, the entire plot we were seeing was McAvoy's head. Or that everything we were seeing was in Anya Taylor-Joy's head. When they bring her up from the, the zoo and it looks like white walls, I was like, is she in a mental institution? Like, is this Shutter Island? Like, I had yeah. I had other things where I, that I was constantly looking to think maybe this was going on. But honestly, by the end, because it lasts so long, I thought there was no twist and that this was completely straight. Which is why yeah. when he starts turning into the beast, quote-unquote, I was like, oh... What if the twist is that this is just the movie and that would be really cool and then the last 30 seconds happen. So we find out, I'm just going to throw it out there. I don't know if, if Matt, you have a nice florid way of describing it. You find out essentially McAvoy has not been caught. He has become this new super villain called the Horde. And as soon as I heard the term super villain, I said, no, 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 we're not going to do this. And 
you pan down to the end of this diner and we see Bruce Willis. And that's when I started screaming, no, no, why do we see this? And somebody says, oh, he's like that guy from a couple years ago, Mr. Glass, um, and the movie ends. This is tied into Unbreakable. A, let's get the non-personal elements out of the way. You got some balls, M. Night, to think that you have enough, like, movies for a shared universe, let alone this kind of connected storytelling. I know that a lot of people have always said his films are interconnected, but he's really owning that shit now. I mean, that's that's some audacity. Like, he thinks he's really cool that he can do all that. That's neither here nor... Well, oh, go on. I think you've got the wrong idea. Go, of it go there, for personally. it. You can tell me. <laughs> because the way I see it is this. Typically... When you have a villain versus a good guy in a movie, you're forced to tell the origin story of that villain or the villain just is and he exists within the world and we don't really get an origin story and the two clash. And what he did, I thought, was something that was very unique where he spent an entire movie dedicated solely to explaining who the villain is. And so as a result... When these two ultimately do come together, I think we're going to get a lot more of an enrichment of character development and, you know, be able to just share in the riches of that because we've had two films worth of buildup. And it was something that no one expected. So as a result, we don't have expectations that can or cannot be met. We're just simply along for the ride and are enjoying it. Okay, so then by that second token, connecting it to Unbreakable is what pissed me off more than anything. How? Okay, let's let's get personal here. Um, I have only ever seen part of Unbreakable. I refuse to watch it. Why do I refuse to watch it? Because the summer that came out, I'm assuming it came out during the summer, I just remember that for the last, uh, it's been out for the last 17 years of my life, um, I have been told that I have the quote-unquote unbreakable disease. Um, Yes, because much like Samuel L. Jackson's character in that movie, I have osteogenesis imperfecta, which M. Night Shyamalan decides to use for supervillain effect. Um, So the last 17 years, any time I have said, you know, I have this disability, people will say, and I was like, this movie I didn't even think did a lot of business when it came out. Apparently everybody and their sister has seen this film because I get asked all the time, oh, like the guy in Unbreakable, right? Have you seen Unbreakable? Do you like Unbreakable? It's a great movie, isn't it? I mean, it's telling your, you know, it's about, it's about your disability. You know, it totally latches onto it, doesn't it? Doesn't it just explain you and I have to sit there and shake my head and say, no, I've never seen it. I I know enough about it that I feel like I don't need to because I've been told it's a very reductive look at, you know, the disability, like, you know, he sneezes and like, oh, I broke my leg. But you know what it is, though, Kristen? It's a very, very, very different take on the superhero genre that is refreshing. And it's not something that you... especially compared to nowadays because superhero films are just all the rage now. But you also have to remember that when this came out, I believe it was 2002. I thought it it was 2000. That's why I said 17. I could be wrong. Oh, no, no, no. Because it wouldn't be one year after Sixth Sense, in my opinion. Uh, Okay. I could, again, I could be wrong. Yeah, I'm pretty sure because they even say in the movie 15 years prior. Oh, okay. Yeah, so um, 
Well, anyways, it, it doesn't matter. Bottom line is that back in 2002, uh, when this movie came out, there weren't that many superhero films like on the scale of a Marvel or the DC brand that we have today. So what Unbreakable really did in addressing certain tropes of the genre were for their time considered unique. And I think that that's why that movie got a lot of fans. It also <laughs> became known as the only other M. Night Shyamalan film that was actually considered good along with The Sixth Sense. So most people that are fans of his work have really seen those two and maybe some of the others here and there. You know what I mean? So I think that's why this film, although this, the, the fan base for it is very, very small in my opinion, um, they're a very, very devoted bunch of people. And that's why you got the ecstatic response from so many people, but also because too, nobody expected this. This film has not been marketed as such. It's not been talked about as such. This this film was screened months ago, and people managed to keep the twist under wraps. I don't even know how the hell that was even possible. But I I, I was very very impressed that I got a supervillain origin story. When I thought I was getting a B-movie thriller. And that I thought was really, really neat. I'm anticipating more people saying that I have the unbreakable disease. <laughs> so I am, I'm not looking forward to uh, hearing that again. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I maintain. My issues with the ending are my own. Um, you know, I, I know 98% of, of the US or the world probably won't have the same antipathy that I do because... They're able-bodied people. Um, but yeah, for me, that was that was kind of where I was just like, God fucking damn it, that movie rears its ugly head again. I was just taken back to the summer of 2002 or whenever that happened when, yeah, everybody had to ask me that question. <laughs> I kind of just felt like I needed to have the sign on my back that says, no, it's not like Unbreakable. Please move on. Well, here's the opportunity now for you to see the movie, Kristen. Mm, I don't want to. <laughs> We're going to get – but also think about the prospects of this. We're going to get a movie with Bruce Willis and James McAvoy that hopefully isn't a big special effects, uh, high-budgeted film directed by M. Night Shyamalan, but is more of a um, hopefully gritty uh, action film directed by M. Night Shyamalan because, as we said before, his big-budget um, you know, works are not really his strong suit. Yeah, M. Night Shyamalan wants to make me happy. Get a person with OI to play the hero and, like, kick some ass and not be reductive and maybe I'd be happy. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what would make me happy, but I just know that I would probably... If if uh, y'all want me to watch it, I'll watch it, but you're going to have to get, like, you're going to get a shit ton of nitpicks. Like, a shit ton. It's going to be 90% nitpick. Well, you got to remember, everybody always brings their own personal experiences <laughs> to a film that they watch and form their own opinion based upon that. So, I mean, what you take into the film is what you take out. <sighs> Fucking unbreakable. It's true. <laughs> In any event, though, I mean, listen, I'm, I, you know, you mentioned 98% of the world's population and, you know, reacting to this movie. I also, uh, I know that there were a ton of people when I left the theater that were like, I, I, I don't understand why is everyone high-fiving what's what's happening like people were very very confused <laughs> and there were a lot of us that were going up to like random strangers like i i even talked to people who i never 
spoken to before and i was like oh man i'm like basically it's a oh it, we we just saw uh, uh i don't even know oh my gosh uh, unbreakable ah and i'm like freaking out because i was just on such a, like a high because it just totally just took me by surprise and people were like what movie is that and i'm like it's the one that they made fun of in not another teen movie with mr t <laughs> like I was like, I, I, I was trying so hard to explain to like one guy like what this movie was, and he was just completely oblivious. And I think that a lot of people are going to feel that way. I've even said to people, the best way I can explain to anyone that has seen this movie and they're very excited about the ending, they want to like tell people to see it, say the following: Go into this movie if you are a fan of M Night Shyamalan's previous work. If you and, and, and you know what, if the person is not a fan of their work and AKA has not seen Unbreakable, they'll probably watch this and say this movie is decent. But once again, when that ending comes, unless if they're in a very, very tightly uh, uh, tiny, small theater with not a lot of people, then they're going to just, you know, be like, what's going on here? I don't I, I, I don't get it. So. I'll tell you this, though. DVD uh, and Blu-ray sales for Unbreakable are going to go up right now. That's for sure. Nah. <laughs> you may not be happy about it, but damn, I'm happy to see that this film has a second life. <laughs> not to mention, too, Bruce Willis, God bless the man, isn't he, like, in his 60s and he's still giving us action films? Like, that's just insane. I kind of want to know how much he got paid for, like, 10 seconds of work. Uh, I don't know. Pro- probably I mean. a ridiculous amount. He's probably going to sabotage the whole project and, you know, just have, like, a very miserable, like, experience on set, much in the way he did with, like, Kevin Smith and Cop Out or something, I'm sure. I I mean, I just, Bruce Willis is such a question mark for me nowadays that, like, I think the last good thing I saw him in was Looper. So, take that for what you will. Anyways... Kristen, where can they find you on the internet? I am at journeys underscore film on Twitter. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Everyone, thank you so much for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, where you can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Player FM. Thank you all so much for listening, and we will see you all next time. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased, and essential world news daily.